very, very uh, peculiar that one of the most famous men in all of the world should be put to death as a criminal. The, uh, the Roman authorities did not, uh, they didn't crucify anyone. You had to be pretty, uh, pretty strong, uh, a strong criminal, if you like, in order to be, to be crucified. And so I want to bring to you today five witnesses who had something to say about Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do this in just ten minutes. The first witness from the Easter story that I want to bring to you today, in fact, two witnesses, I'm calling them the authorities. The authorities. The people who examined Jesus, one of them, was Pontius Pilate, and the other was Herod. And both of these characters speak with Jesus in Luke 23, and both of them, both of them, declare Jesus was innocent. He was innocent. And in fact, uh, we read that Pilate three times declared the innocence of Jesus. And if you look in Luke 23 and verse 22, you have it there exactly. For the third time, Pilate is speaking, for the third time he spoke to them and said to them as they were crying out, let him be crucified. He said, for the third time. Why? Why? What has he done? What crime has this man committed, I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. And if you look in verse 15, he says, neither has Herod. And so, my first two witnesses who examined Christ, examined the way he was speaking, examined the evidence about what he was doing, having heard the testimonies of others, both of them said, he has done no wrong. That's witness one and witness two. Witness three is the cellmate of Jesus, if you like. As Jesus was being led out to be crucified, the Bible records he wasn't crucified by himself. There were others with him. And one of those who was with or stand by for a uh, a Salvation Army uh, incidental music swell uh, that's swelling up around us. Um, one of those who was with Jesus in the cell, a man who would have maybe shared the same dungeon as Christ, a man who shared the same journey up Golgotha and towards Golgotha, a man who was also with Jesus as they were crucified, he makes an astonishing confession in verse 41 of the 23rd chapter of Luke. In verse 
40, we read that while the two men were with Jesus on the cross, they were hurling insults at him, and one of them, who at first was hurling insults, he had a change of heart. And the Bible says that he began to think about his life and think about where he was at in terms of his divine destiny because as this man was hanging on the cross, he knew one thing. He knew that he was going to die. He was going to die. And I'll come back to this in a minute, and I don't want to ruin your, your Easter day, but I need to tell you as well, you are going to die as well. Amen? You are going to die as well. This man knew he was going to die, maybe in a day or two, maybe he didn't know he was going to get his legs broken and killed within a few hours, but he knew that he had a day or two, or maybe just a few hours in which to live. But in fact, we're all going to die. And while he's thinking about the fact that he's going to die, he's thinking about not just his funeral, he's not just thinking about what hymns are we going to have at my, at my funeral, he's not thinking about his inheritance. The Bible calls him a thief, which suggests he may not have had much money. He's not thinking about who is he going to invite to the creme upon his death. What he's thinking about is, what's going to happen to me when I die? Where am I going to go? And I wonder this morning if you ever think like that. I wonder if you ever think, what is going to happen to me after I have died? Am I going to cease to exist? Am I going to just be asleep? Or is there something else? And he starts to think like that. And the Bible says that he began to think about what was going to happen. He began to think, do you know what? All my life I've done things wrong. I must Find forgiveness. And he turns to Jesus and now we come to it. In verse 40 he says, Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, he shouts to his mate on the other side, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But here's the verse now. Watch it. This man has done nothing wrong. So the first witness, Pilate, he examines Jesus and he says, I find no fault in him. The second witness, Herod, the Tetrarch, the puppet king, he looks at Jesus and then he sends him away. He can't find anything to condemn him for. Even the cellmate of Jesus, the man who really knew what Jesus was like. How many of you know that once you start to suffer, that's when you find out what you really like? 
And he'd rub shoulders with Jesus in his suffering, not on his bright and sunny day, but in his darkest stormy day. And he hurled across his words to the other cross, leave Jesus alone. We deserve to die. But this man in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. The fourth witness to this story is the executioner himself. There is a great earthquake. Rocks are split. Jesus dies just when he should. And here in Luke, we know of the centurion. And I was sharing with our Bible class this Thursday, I don't know if this is a true story or not, but in the, uh, the movie, I think it's the greatest story ever told, John Wayne is wheeled on to play the part of the centurion. And if you've ever seen the film, he looks like he's just come out of a cowboy ranch and they've stuck another costume on him. And he stands playing the part of the centurion and says, This man was the Son of God. And I don't know if this is true or not, but legend has it that the director came up to John Wayne and said, John, do it with awe. John said, okay, shoot. Awe. This man was the Son of God. I I don't know if that's true, but that is what was said. The man who had nailed Jesus to the cross. And when we look at Luke, we discover that he said a little more than what we read in Mark and Matthew where he says he was the Son of God. In Luke, we read that he made another confession too. He said, surely this was a righteous man. Verse 47. So the fourth witness, Pilate was number one, Herod is number two, the thief on the cross is number three, and our fourth witness, the man who nailed Jesus to the cross, the man that instead of Jesus kicking him, cursing him, and often you understand as these crosses would be raised up in the sky, The men upon them would hurl down curses on those who had crucified them. They would despise them and spit upon them. And as they were being nailed, they would be forcibly kicked and spat upon. And Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus said to him, Father, forgive them. The centurion is in charge of the crucifixion. He's crucified hundreds of people. But maybe never before, never before, had the man being crucified forgiven him of that crime. And as Jesus dies, the centurion, probably not looking anything like John Wayne, 
says he was a righteous man. Do you know what that, do you understand what that means? What he's saying is, this is a miscarriage of justice. I find no fault in him. But there's one more witness I want to tell you about. Someone else who knew all about Jesus. Someone else. Someone like Pilate could examine him maybe for an hour or two. Someone like Herod could speak with him maybe for 30 minutes or so. The executioner spent six hours with Christ as he was upon the cross. And his thief, his fellow criminal, maybe with him for 12 hours in a cell. But you know there was one person who knew Christ better than all of them. And that was his father. That was his father. The final witness to Jesus' innocence was the resurrection itself. Because God says in his word that the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sins, it shall die. But there's another witness outside of the human witnesses that declared Jesus to be innocent. Because if Jesus had not been innocent, he would not have come back from the dead. But because he was innocent, Romans chapter 1 says this, through the Spirit of holiness or through the Holy Spirit, he was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. On the day of Pentecost, Peter says to the crowd, you have put the Messiah to death. We preach today that Jesus died for you, and that is the gospel. But the very first message was Peter saying, Jesus has died because of you. And because you killed him, And don't think that we who were not there are not responsible. We killed him with our sins. And Peter says to them, but God has exalted him to the highest place. I want you to read one verse with me. And it's in Matthew 17. And with this I really am going to draw to a close. Pilate said he was innocent. Herod said he was innocent. His fellow prisoner said he was innocent. The executioner said he was innocent. What does God say about him? Because really, it doesn't much matter what people think about you. Because you can fool people. But you can't fool God. What does God say about Jesus? 
Verse 5 of Matthew 17 says this. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, speaking about Jesus, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am what? Well pleased. This is my Son, whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. Allow me to rephrase it for the purpose of this presentation. God says, I find no fault in him. And then comes three words that have changed the lives of literally millions and millions of people. Millions of people have been changed by the next three words. And I want you to be changed by them too. This is my son, whom I love. I'm well pleased with him. And then come three life-changing words. And if you want them to change your life, they can do so today. God says this, listen to him. Listen to him. Lots of people around the world, they know Jesus. They know the name. They've seen the show. They saw the documentary. They even heard there was a book about him. They saw it in a hotel drawer. But what is the difference between someone who believes in God and a man who is a Christian? And I tell you the difference. The person, the man or woman who is a Christian is the person who listens to him. They don't just know of him. They don't just hear about him. They don't even just like him. Oh, they sing a song about him. They listen to him. Do you know that the Bible says a great deal about you. You may think that the Bible is a book about God and Christ, and it, it is. But let me tell you something. The Bible says quite a lot about you. You're in it. Did you know that? You are in it. You're in the Bible. The Bible talks about people. You're not named in it. Specifically, the Bible says this. Every person in the world, everyone in the world, has done things that are wrong. I think probably we'd all be happy to admit that. That every one of us, we've all done things wrong. Even some of the great people, you know, the really good people. The charity giving, help you out, change your tire in the rain people. 
They've done things wrong too. The bank robber has done things wrong. And the most wonderful, exemplary citizen has done things wrong. I wonder how many lies you've told in the whole of your life. If we stop to think about it, I think we might be here till next Easter and hear the band go by again. I'm not asking you if you're a liar. I'm simply asking you how many lies you think you may have told. Because the person who tells lies is a liar. Probably sometime in your life, you've also played the role of a thief. Taken things that you shouldn't have done. Oh, you probably didn't try and rob the Queen Vic. But we steal all sorts of things. Something that didn't belong to you, you took it. You stole your employer's money when you told him you were ill and you weren't. Every one of us would do things wrong. And the thief on the cross, he knew that. He knew he'd done things wrong. And he began to think, you know what, I'm going to die. He says, I deserve this punishment. But something much worse is waiting for me when I die. Something much worse than this terrible life I'm in now. I hear people say all the time, this life is hell. I want to tell you today, if no one else has got the courage to tell you, this life is not hell. It's not hell. It's not heaven either. But it's not hell. Because there really is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The man on the cross knew it next to Jesus. He knew that he would have to face the penalty of everything he'd done wrong. Every time he had lied or stolen or cheated. Every time he had lusted after a woman that was not his wife. Every time he had essentially not put God in the very driving seat of his life. And he turned to the Savior. In the face of Jesus, he saw the face of a Savior. He said, Lord, will you remember me? Will you save me? And Jesus saved him. He said, my friend, before the day is over, you're going to be off this cross And you're going to be with me in paradise. Every one of us has done things that are wrong. And that's why every one of us must be forgiven. You can't really go back in time and undo what you've done. You can't really do that. You can make amends a bit. But really, you can't go back and change the past. And by being extra good doesn't undo what has been done. And I want to tell you the wonderful news today. That God knew all about the problem. And he sent his son into the world. When Jesus died on the cross, 
He took the blame for you. There was once a day in my geography class when I was 11 years old when a little boy was talking at the back. Do you remember the good old days when the main crime in school was talking at the back? Today it's a little different. I've told you before, do not use automatic weapons at the back of the class. In my day, to be rude, my teacher was called Mr. Sheen. That's true. Before they brought the polish out. Do you know how, what a laugh that was for us at school when they brought that polish out? <laughs> Mr. Sheen, I saw you on TV. In my day, to answer Mr. Sheen back was a punishable offense. Today, you'd lock Mr. Sheen in the cupboard and claim that he was nasty to you. But I remember one time in Mr. Sheen's geography class, he taught all sorts of things, of course, but a little boy at the back chatted away. Mr. Sheen thought it was me. And he brought me to the front of the class. And he spanked me. They don't do that no more either, do they? Do you think I can, like, go after him in the court now? He spanked me. Ooh, I can feel it now. Can you just give me a minute to just get over this? He spanked me. The Lord forgive him, but he spanked me. And you know what? I didn't do the talking. Really, I'm telling you now. I haven't got Pilate or Herod or any of the others to prove it, but I was innocent. And the boy who did the talking... He didn't get spanked or smacked, called it then. He didn't get smacked. I took the blame for him, didn't I? And let me tell you, I didn't want to. But he went free and I took the blows. It's a real, it's a true story. But, you know, that's just like in the Bible. It's just, just like Easter. See? You've done things wrong. Sir, ma'am, you've done things wrong. And the greatest thing you need today is not your dinner. It's not your egg. It's not your telly. And the greatest thing you need in your life is not a new car or a better job or a better family situation, you need something. You need to be forgiven. You need that more than you need anything else. You must be forgiven. Because you're going to die. And I'm sounding like one of those old-fashioned gospel preachers, but it's true. You don't know if you're going to see tomorrow. The Bible talks about a man who stored up treasure for himself. And God said, you fool. You fool. Tonight, your very life is going to be taken. You've built up all this money, and, but the very thing you needed 
Forgiveness. You never had it. Now there are two responses that you can make. The first response is you can say, well I never did anything wrong. And there we have it, proof that you are a liar. That we all do things wrong. Another response you can make is you can say, yes, I have done things wrong and I don't know whether I need God's forgiveness or not. I'll put it off until tomorrow. But I urge you in God's name not to do that. Or the third response you can make is you can say, yes, I have made mistakes and I need Christ to forgive me and I want him to do so today. When I was 18 years old, I wandered into a meeting a bit like this. I'd never been to a church quite like it, or a meeting quite like it. And in that meeting, excuse me, I was challenged about my life and about who I was and what I'd done. And I had to freely admit, you know, I've done things wrong. I've hurt other people. I've hurt God. I've not been who everything God wanted me to be. And here's the good news. You can be forgiven today. You can be forgiven and then you can do those three words, those three words that will change your whole life. You can start listening to Him. The reason why He could take your punishment on Himself is because He hadn't done anything wrong. If he had done anything wrong, he would have died for his own crime. But he died for your crime. The reason Jesus hung on the cross is because of all the things that you and I have done wrong. He went to the electric chair in our place. And because he has been punished, we can now go free.